Our Old Testament reading this morning uh, is from Lamentations. And Lamentations is one of those Old Testament books where you know, we, we just don't hear a lot in service read from those books. And in fact, in our own personal devotions, we probably don't spend a lot of time reading through Lamentations. They are, after all, a, a book full of Lamentations. So, uh, here is a text from a book of sorrows that contains in it great hope. And that's one of the themes that is woven, uh, sometimes very delicately, throughout the book of Lamentations. It comes to us from the third chapter, beginning at verse 21. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the gospel according to John in the first chapter, beginning verse 43 and continuing through verse 51. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. I think that many of the call stories that we read about in the Gospels are kind of fun. To our sophisticated, enlightened, modern ears, they may sound, well, a bit odd, but that's in part because the stories themselves are frankly a bit odd, but in a good way. Like this morning's tale of Jesus meeting Philip and Nathaniel, The encounter is set in Galilee, the 
region, which was home turf for Jesus. There he encounters Philip. And he issues this wonderfully succinct invitation to him. The author of this gospel simply records as, follow me. But it seems that was enough. That was enough to compel Philip to become a disciple. Now, I, I find that a bit odd in itself, but again, odd in a, in a good, even a wonderful way. Hearing the way this went down, I'm amazed that Philip would commit to such a venture on the basis of just two words. Granted, the Bible is full of miraculous accounts, and I don't have any doubt that they happened, but to think of being in Philip's shoes, well, I'm not so sure that I would have been as willing as he was. I think I might well have been a bit more like Nathaniel, who we meet next in this story. As Jesus has found Philip, it's Philip who goes and finds Nathaniel. And Philip seems all in and very excited to share with his friend all about the one whose follower he has become. But unlike Philip, Nathaniel is a bit more reluctant, a bit more wary. Though Philip argues rightly that he has found the one, the one who is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the one who is the savior of the people, the Messiah. When Nathaniel hears from whence he comes, well, he has his reservations. Now, just as was the case not that many years ago, as Sonny has told me, once upon a time, there was a pretty good rivalry that took place between the Marion boys and the Crisfield kids. So, too, there was a time when that sort of thing was going on. It, as far back as Jesus' day, so it seems, in the school district where Rhonda and I grew up, there was this mix of students, some of whom lived within the, the village limits, or very close to it, and others who resided in more bucolic locations, further out. Now, I happened to grow up in the next to last house in the county. And so I was almost as far removed from the center of the school district universe as one could be. Now, the, the intramural rivalry that I knew was one that we called the, the Townies versus the Aggies. And I, I was definitely not a Townie. But neither was Jesus a Townie as far as Nathaniel was concerned, at least from the snobbish point of view of someone who had come from Bethsaida. That was oh, the, the Pocomoke City of the region of Galilee, if you will. It, it was so much bigger than Marion, right, that if you were from Bethsaida, well, then you were from somewhere. It had the manufacturing and it had the commerce centers, it had the learning centers, it had the public works infrastructure that the Romans had invested in. So with a bit of pride and a bit of prejudice at the same time, Nathaniel wondered aloud, what export of Nazareth could possibly be superior to something that had come from his own hometown? But in his defense, that was the thinking 
of a majority of Hebrews of his day, while the people of Israel had longed for the coming of a new Davidic king, they, like the Magi who came from the east, they first looked to Jerusalem to produce such a royal leader. After all, the capital was the residence of the kings. Well, God, of course, had different plans than the schemes of men, but Nathaniel needed a little extra convincing. In this sense, I hear some echoes of another familiar story of skepticism on the part of one of Jesus' other disciples, Thomas. It is recorded in this same gospel, 19 chapters on from here. Here in the first chapter, Philip tells Nathanael, come and see. And he issues both a proclamation and an invitation at the same time. He wasn't, obviously, Nathanael wasn't simply going to take someone else's word for it. Well, in similar fashion, Thomas wasn't simply going to take someone else's word for it. The other disciples were so excited. They had seen the Lord, and Thomas had missed out. And he had to see for himself. But all the while, Thomas and all of his fellow disciples, and Nathaniel and his friends as well, they were already fully known, we might say, fully seen by Jesus. When Jesus starts off his conversation with Nathaniel, he, he already knows. Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows where he's been. Jesus knows where he's going. Right? He knows his frame of mind. He knows his unbelief. And he tears down all the walls that separated Nathaniel from the saving knowledge of the Lord, his identity, his mission, so that, like Philip, he comes to acknowledge the truth of it all. It took a call from Philip and then another call from Jesus to finally get through to Nathaniel. And as I read this story, I take heart in it. I take heart because it reminds me that there have been folks who, unlike Philip, have had to hear more than a single call from on high to get results. In today's hypertech world, many of us are nearly constantly connected. We carry our phones around with us everywhere. It's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Not only can these communication marvels receive telephone calls, but also texts and emails and a host of other means for transmitting information. It's gotten to the point where some days we may just find ourselves thinking, oh, not another call. I, I just can't be bothered right now. I've, I've read about some reports on certain segments of the telecommunications user base that there are a sizable number of folks who are, these days, reluctant to take any call from anybody, right? preferring not to have to speak with a living human being on the other end. Right? 
Their phones are for anything but receiving or making phone calls. But still, the calls come. It does not matter if your number is on the do not call list. The calls keep coming. And when we aren't talking about telemarketers trying to sell us something or scammers trying to steal something or market researchers trying to survey something, when it turns out to be someone we actually would enjoy hearing from, the persistence of the caller can be a welcome thing. When I think about this phenomenon in theological terms, I find a sense of reassurance and peace in knowing there is more than a single call ever placed to any of us, inviting us to come, follow me. In the original language of the New Testament, a form of ancient Greek, there is a verb tense that wonderfully conveys the way in which the call of the Lord is a recurring event that accompanies us throughout all of our days, and not just once. Said in a succinct and scholarly fashion by a biblical languages expert a century ago, the present indicative, accompanied by an adverbial expression denoting duration and referring to past time, is sometimes used in the Greek, as it is, he points out, in the German, to describe an action which, beginning in past time, is still in progress right up until the time of speaking and sometimes beyond that as well. And this, I think, is a great way of visualizing the divine call process. Jesus calls us, and that call is upon our lives as an ongoing action. Yes, in the sense that Jesus called Philip and he responded, and yes, in the sense that Philip and Jesus then called Nathaniel and he responded to this call to be disciples, but in their lives, and I believe in ours too, that's only a part of the story. As alluded to earlier, Thomas had heard and responded to this call of Jesus, but he would continue to harbor his own doubts. Well, Simon, known as Peter, had also responded to this call of Jesus to follow him, but he too would have his doubts. He would go on to deny Jesus three times in a row. Judas also responded to the call of the master, but he would betray him to the authorities when he grew disillusioned with Jesus' ministry. In all these cases, we have examples here before us from Scripture of folks, disciples, who had once responded to the call of Jesus, but who later would waver They would falter, or they would even turn their backs on that call. The Reformed understanding of once saved, always saved, doesn't necessarily translate to once followed, always following. But on the flip side, it also seems to be that the call of Jesus is just like the mercies of God. They're new every morning. Each and every day we are called to witness to the gospel of Jesus. Each and every day we are called to join in the understanding and the undertaking of his mission in the world. Each and every day we have new opportunities 
to respond in faith, to decide whether and how we're going to follow the call of the master or whether we're going to follow the call of the world. And when we choose poorly, that is not the end of the story. For God's grace and God's mercy are extended to us as they were to Jesus' first disciples. And yet another call to follow follows. We know this new year will be full of challenges. We've already seen that this new year is full of uncertainty and disappointment. But as resurrection people, we also know that this new year is full of days ahead that contain unimagined possibility. Perhaps one day we'll be like Philip. Perhaps one day we'll be like Nathaniel. Perhaps one day we'll be like Thomas or like Peter or even like Judas. But each day brings with it a new choice, a new opportunity to decide how we're going to answer this persistent calling of the Lord, the one on whom the angels of God are ascending and descending, the one who has seen us and known us from before the beginning and who has never, ever forsaken even those who have forsaken him. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.